Well, good morning. My name's Kay Bolton, and I have the joy of being one of the leaders here at Christchurch Baptist Church. And um, I want to just share with you some exciting news, because in two weeks' time, uh, we're looking forward to being able to gather together physically in the grounds of uh, Moreland's College. We often go there as a church uh, community, and we're absolutely delighted to be able to say that we will be going in two weeks' time on the 13th of June to gather together outside, um, following all the government rules that say that we can gather together outside and worship together without limitation on numbers. We do have to keep social distancing, of course, with um, households or bubbles, but we can uh, not have masks on and we can sing. Uh, It's so exciting, isn't it? I do hope you've um, seen uh, the invitations that have come through the week. If not, do have a look at um, the church notice sheet, which you'll have received, or you can look at now um, on on the website and um, find out more about it. What we would ask is that you you sign up to say that you're coming, um, whoever's coming from your household, that you sign up so that um, Jackie also knows how many children are going to be there. But it also helps uh, with the track and trace, of course, that we've all got used to, haven't we? So really exciting, isn't it, that we can gather together in the sunshine, of course, um, in two weeks' time. So get that date in your diary. And we're all starting to think, aren't we, as we've said before, about what it looks like for us to be able to gather in church. And um, we're going to find out a bit more from the government on the 14th of June and of course the leadership team will be looking at those guidelines and we'll we'll be letting you know as soon as we possibly can about when we will be able to um, gather together as um, church in our in our church building again but do as I say put the 13th of June in your diary 11 o'clock that service will be not 10 30 but 11 o'clock at Moorlands shall we pray together as we come to God's word Father, we thank you for your presence with us, and as we open your word, we pray that our hearts would be receptive to all that you want to say to us, and and that we'd be willing to hear, but not just to hear, Lord, to respond, to see our lives changed, and to move closer uh, to you as a result of listening and hearing and responding to your word this morning. So come, be with us, we pray, as as we look at your word now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue our journey looking at the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We've only got two verses today. You might have spotted Ephesians 4.30 and 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Both of these verses discuss how we respond to the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, You'll need to keep your finger in both this morning because we'll be moving between the two. We're coming to this point in our teaching uh, when we look at the responsibility of us as those who carry the Holy Spirit in us. So um, conversion and filling are the work of the Spirit. And we've explored those two themes over the last couple of weeks. Have a listen online um, if you miss them. But the continuing of God's presence and power in our lives has everything to do with us. Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians that it is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. In the the message version, it's put like this. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. 
And then in his letter to the Thessalonian Christians, he says it's also possible not only to grieve the Spirit, but to quench the Holy Spirit. He says, quite simply, do not quench the Spirit. From explaining what the Holy Spirit has done and continues to do for us, today we're going to shift to what we might do to him. I think this is staggering. Firstly, that we might grieve the Holy Spirit. Anyone who's lost a loved one will understand the depths of a word like grief. Grief is a feeling of intense sorrow, isn't it? But it also speaks, if we've been grieved by somebody, of great distress as well. It's a personal word. It's it's heavy with emotion, isn't it? If the Holy Spirit were merely a force, as cults um, teach, and as um, Tom reminded us, some of us have the habit of referring to the Holy Spirit as it, then he wouldn't be able to feel grief, would he? However, Paul's really clear with us that the Holy Spirit can be hurt. And he can be hurt by us. Now Paul doesn't say that he can become angry or embarrassed or annoyed or infuriated. Paul says the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be hurt. How sobering that we can uh, be responsible for bringing sorrow and distress to God. If we're not careful in the way that we live. And secondly, we're warned by Paul in 1 Thessalonians not to quench the Holy Spirit. That is, not to throw cold water on what the Holy Spirit is doing. Not to be a fireman who rushes in to put out any activity of the Spirit with cold water. This, of course, doesn't mean at all that we have more power than God or that God is not sovereign. And of course he is. But what we need to let sink in this morning is that we can miss out on what God has for us. Because rather than stoking the fire and giving it the best conditions to thrive and stay healthy, we can grab a a bucket of cold water and insist on dampening down any flames. So this morning we're going to have a look at what Paul says grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to look at how he says we can choose, if we want to, to adjust our lives to avoid doing that. Artie Kendall tells a story of a couple who moved into a new home and not long after they'd been there, a dove came and started to live in the eaves of the house. However, they noticed that there was quite an unsettling pattern in the the dove's behaviour. Every time a door slammed in the house or um, there was lots of noise if they had lots of people around or if they happened to have an argument and raised their voices, the dove would be disturbed. And he would fly off. And sometimes he'd be gone for quite a while. Well, the couple really loved having this dove living in the eaves of their house. And they were really concerned that one day this dove might fly away and not return. So they made a decision and they chose to adjust their behaviour around the house. They stopped slamming the doors. They made sure the noise level didn't get too loud. They stopped shouting uh, when they felt tempted to. They wanted the dove to stay. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, then the Holy Spirit has come to live in your life. Paul, at the beginning of Ephesians, and again here in verse 30 that we've just looked at, says that when you say yes to Jesus, when you become a Christian, you're marked with a seal, with the promised Holy Spirit. The seal of the Holy Spirit is given to tell us we belong to 
to God. And the Holy Spirit makes his home in our lives and we're reminded by him that we're forgiven and we're accepted by God. And nothing, nothing, nothing can ever change that truth. God sealed it. He sealed that promise of forgiveness. Paul says the Holy Spirit is also a deposit, reminding us that we're being transformed as we look forward to all that um, belonging to God means, not only now, but also in the future for eternity. I love uh, the story of that, of the dove that I've just told you, because the Holy Spirit is like a dove who comes and, and, uh, and, and comes into our lives. He comes and makes us his home. But also because the Holy Spirit is referred to as a dove in the Bible, isn't he? And of course, the dove is a, is a symbol of peace. I don't know if you, if you remember, but John the Baptist, uh, when he first started talking about Jesus, he said this. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I wonder, why was the Holy Spirit able to remain on Jesus? Why was the Holy Spirit happy to settle there, to settle and stay on Jesus? Well, it would seem that there was nothing, well, there wasn't anything, was there, about Jesus that could grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was totally at home with Jesus. He had no reason, if you like, to fly off. So, When we choose to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence with us. Paul says in uh, just a bit earlier in our passage in uh, verse 22 that we must put off our old selves, our old ways of living and put on our new selves that are created to be like God. Uh, The Holy Spirit should make himself completely at home with us as we become like Jesus. Sadly, however, in our lives, we do slam doors, don't we? We do tend to make too much noise and the dove is forced to take his leave for a while. It's still his home. We're sealed. It's still his home. But sometimes we can make him feel like he's no longer welcome or that it's no longer safe. And he removes his presence when he's grieved or hurt or stifled or quenched by the way that we behave. You see, the Holy Spirit is sensitive. He's very sensitive, like a dove. So we're going to look firstly at um, how we can be aware of what grieves the Holy Spirit. How can we be aware of what grieves the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul highlights some of the behavior that he sees um, in Ephesians 4. If you've got your Bibles open, you can have a look at them as I pick some of them out. Maybe we see some of them not only as Paul did as the, in the Christians in Ephesians, but maybe we see some of them today too. He says, stop lying. Stop being economical with the truth. Stop avoiding things, saying things that should be said. He also says, sort out your anger issues. Sort out that rage and that backbiting, that uncontrolled anger that's in you. He talks about not stealing, about taking what doesn't belong to you, about selfish ungenerosity. He also says that negative talk needs to go, gossip and slander and unkind words. All of these things that he mentions have potential to grieve the Holy Spirit if we don't keep them in check, if we don't deal with them. But then he specifically mentions bitterness. He starts a to dig a bit deeper I think into the things of the heart it's not just outward actions that need our attention if we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit but inward things inward attitudes 
that might cause the dove to fly away. And bitterness, it starts small, doesn't it? We might not even notice it at first. Maybe someone upsets us or we don't get the job that we'd really hoped we would get or we feel ignored by somebody. The problem is we start to replay those awkward, difficult situations over and over in our heads, don't we? And gradually the bitterness starts to take root. The writer of the Hebrews tells us not to let bitterness settle in our hearts. Watch out that no bitter bitter root rises up among you, he says. For wherever it springs up, many are corrupted by its poison. Bitterness, a poison. Paul goes on in in Ephesians to, um, to make us aware of the seriousness as well of impure thoughts of um, impure actions, of greed, of lack of faith, of ingratitude. All these things can grieve the Holy Spirit within us if we don't keep a check on how we live. What about quenching the Holy Spirit? It's interesting, if you look at the context, Paul is speaking very much here to a church community. It's what do we need to be aware of as a church community um, of quenching the Spirit? I just want to read those verses around um, verse 19. It says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul has called the Christians to be joyful always. We can quench the spirit with negative comments, not rejoicing with others when they rejoice because we're jealous or finding fault too easily in our worship services. Paul calls them to pray continually. We can quench the spirit when we choose a critical moan rather than praying to God. He calls us to thankfulness. We can quench the spirit with an unthankful heart. And Paul says, treating prophecy with contempt is a sure way to quench the spirit. I wonder how open are we to allowing God to speak to us or even through us? How do we react when someone receives and shares a word from God? I wonder how we apply Paul's words to us today. Did you notice that word contempt? What a strong word, implying Contempt implies it means disgust or anger towards God. Well, you with me me, probably think, not me, Lord. I would never do that. But perhaps because we're not talking about outward outward actions. Do we sit and uh, speculate, speculate about what God is doing on a Sunday morning? Guilty more of thinking about our dinner or the person next to us singing out of tune, maybe not at the moment, but when we get back to church or the, the drums being too loud or, or um, whatever it might be that we think about rather than expecting God to speak to us. Is this treating things with God with contempt? Challenging, I think. Challenging, isn't it? But thankfully, uh, Paul gives some really helpful advice on, um, on how, not to, how not to quench the spirit. So we're going to think now um, about just a couple, there are more, but a couple of adjustments that we could make in our own lives to be sure 
that we are always open to God's spirit. I think there's a, a danger that we can allow the Holy Spirit to become a tenant in our lives. He's allowed to come and live as long as he keeps to our house rules, as long as he doesn't go into certain rooms because they are private or into certain cupboards or even has a look at our diary. But when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, we aren't the landlords anymore. He is. The problem is that we tend to live under the rules of the old landlord, um, us. <laughs> and we grieve and we quench the Holy Spirit when we don't allow him to be the one who runs the house. And we don't adjust our lives to make him welcome. Maybe for some of us this morning, this is an adjustment that we need to make that we need to allow Jesus not just to be our saviour, but to be our Lord as well. That God, Jesus, is the boss. He's the one who's in charge. But also another adjustment is dealing with unconfessed sin. As we reflected on what grieves the Holy Spirit just now, what quenches the spirit, I wonder, did you feel a bit of a poke in the ribs? Was there something that we mentioned that you thought, oh, that felt something because there are things in our lives that aren't pleasing to God. I wonder, is it bitterness that's eating away at us? Or is it finding fault in everything? Or is it suspicion? Or is it reluctance when God is moving by his spirit? You see, if we make these adjustments that of um, un um, confessing our sin, of allowing God to be Lord of our lives, that enables us to be more like Jesus. As we confess our sin that hinders the work of the Spirit, we find the Holy Spirit is waiting, longing to come and fill us again with his joy, longing again to fill us with the presence of his Spirit, longing to strengthen us and correct us. But Paul, as he talks about adjusting, it's not just leaving the negative behind. He gives us um, instructions on how we should live as we are filled with the Spirit. Let's read um, from verse 32 onwards in Ephesians 4. He says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be kind and compassionate. Be forgiving. Walk the way of love. Follow Jesus' example as dearly loved children. Like Jesus, be like Jesus, live like Jesus, and we'll avoid grieving the Holy Spirit. This is when, as we become more like Jesus, the Holy Spirit is free not only just to dwell in our lives, the seal, but to fill our lives with his power. It's him who enables us to live the holy lives that God calls us to live. How do we not quench the spirit? We don't grieve the spirit. How do we not quench the spirit? Well, Paul says, rejoice always. Be marked by a deep, unmovable joy in our gathering when we gather together. Be, be thankful when we gather. Have an attitude of gratitude, as they say. Pray continually. Paul says, keep closely connected with your Father God and be open when you gather. Be wise. 
Test everything, he says. Don't stifle what God is doing. And he says, hold on to that which is good. Throw out anything that's not. But finally, I think we also discover that we must never assume. We must never assume. I wonder if Paul had to speak like this to uh, the Christians at Ephesus because um, they had a risk of assuming that they were fine. I wonder if it's a message too to us, a warning too to us, because we might assume that we're okay. It's possible, isn't it, that we can go through the motions, we continue to uh, live our daily lives, we can even serve God or worship together on a Sunday and not realise, to go back on our analogy, that the dove has temporarily flown away that we have grieved or in some way quenched the Holy Spirit. Well, I was thinking about the story of Samson because it shows all too clearly that this can happen. Samson was one of the judges in the Old Testament, a Nazarite. He was set aside by God, courageous in battle. He experienced the power of God come on him powerfully in his life. And he did amazing things for God if you read the story in Judges. But as his life became more and more about himself and satisfying his own desires than following God, he didn't realize that the spirit had left, that the spirit had flown away. And it's a sad story. He comes to a tragic end. And in Judges, we read these sobering words. He did not know that the spirit had left him. He did not know that the spirit had left him. Brothers and sisters, let's not ever become like Samson. Let's not ever become complacent as individuals before God or as a church. Let's not ever be those who think everything is okay, when in fact we've become insensitive to the feelings of the Holy Spirit and we've become unable to see him grieving. Let's be those who adjust our lives to allow him to rest, to to allow him to stay in our lives and work in us. And let's be a church family who stoke the fire of the spirit, who grab the bellows, if you like, not the bucket, and encourage the fire to grow. Let's be a people who are expectant and encouraging and willing to allow the Holy Spirit to move and work and lead us closer to God and lead us to be more like Jesus. I realise that this has been a a difficult message. The thought that we can grieve God's spirit, the thought that we could be responsible for stifling what God is doing or wants to do. But you know, there's always hope, isn't there, with God? When we confess our sin, when we we recognise maybe our bitterness or our critical spirit or our pride or our moany ways or, or even our fear and lack of faith in God, The spirit is waiting. The spirit is longing to forgive and to restore and cleanse us. Remember this, it's his love, his love for us that motivates him to stay and want to work in our lives. As I close, I want to to read, um, because I think they're brilliant, the the version of Ephesians in in the message. Um, The message says this, don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life. 
making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgiving. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. And watch what God does and then do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly, mostly what God does is love you. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him. That's our hope, isn't it? What, mostly what God does is love us. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. That's the adjustment, isn't it? That's the adjustment. Be aware and make that adjustment. Live a life of love. Observe how Christ has loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to to us. What amazing love. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Let's search our hearts this morning, shall we? Let's allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and let's invite him to have free reign. Let's allow him to work in us that we would never be guilty of grieving or quenching him. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, these are difficult words this morning. We recognize that we do at times grieve your spirit by the way we think or live or behave, that there have been times when we've dampened your spirit rather than stoked the fire. And Father, we want to say sorry. We bring ourselves to you now and confess before you and we receive your forgiveness and your love again. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would reign in our lives, reign in us as a church, that we might be individuals who live for you, that are willing to adjust our lives to allow you to settle and rest on us, that we would be a church that are excited and encouraged when we see you working and we stoke that fire to keep it lit and burning for you. Father, help us, we pray. Holy Spirit, come and work in our lives, we pray. May our lives keep you, Jesus, at the centre. May you be the wind in our sails that blow us forward, working and living and breathing for you, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and do your work. May we be willing to allow you to rest and reign in our lives today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing that beautiful song together now and ask Jesus to be the centre of our lives.